Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast. It is Monday, April 25th, and I'm very happy to bring you a special guest today to the podcast. It is Blair Henley. Tennis insiders for sure know Blair and can't get enough of her passion and ability to elevate whatever element of the sport she is involved with. But if you don't know Blair, here's a brief rundown. She's been an emerging force in tennis media over the last several years as a host, a writer, a reporter, and a commentator. You can find her on some of the biggest show courts in the sport where she is frequently hosting. You can find her emceeing special events for the tours and the Labor Cup. You can read her work in major tennis publications like Tennis.com and ESPN and many others. And of course, you can find her on Twitter where she's always game to have a little fun and talk a whole lot of tennis. Blair recently performed host duties at the BMP Paribas Open at Indian Wells, the U.S. Men's Clay Court Championships in Houston, and Team USA's Billie Jean King Cup tie against Ukraine in Asheville. We caught up with her to get her observations from her two-month journey, highlighting emergent storylines, and under-the-radar gems that kept her smiling during her time on the road. So why don't you listen up to our interview with Blair. And while you're doing that, hit her up on Twitter, at Blair Henley, and check out her website, BlairHenley.com. Hey, Blair. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? Hi, Chris. I'm great. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, yours as well. It's nice to see you back at Indian Wells uh, several weeks ago. It probably feels like three years ago now for you. <laughs> it does. There were a couple of events between then and now. So, um, But yeah, it was great to see you there, and it's been a good spring so far. Yeah, it's been cool. Things are heating up in the tennis world, of course, and you've been a big part of that. Of course, you were at Indian Wells, keeping busy for a couple weeks, then over to Houston, and then just last weekend... Billie Jean King Cup in Asheville. And I, yes. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Asheville, if we could get started on that, because um, it's just an interesting event, of course, with the US Team USA playing Ukraine. And I just wanted to get your perspective. Was it eye-opening? Was it, was it pretty intense getting to view the lives of the Ukrainian players close up during the weekend? Yeah, you know, I didn't get to see a whole lot in terms of the inner workings, but there was just a, a sense of that whole event being different. That was the fourth Billie Jean King Cup qualifying tie that I have worked, okay. and it definitely had a different feel than the three I had done previously. There was, and I think I'm trying to remember which player said it in press, but it wasn't necessarily a a USA versus Ukraine. It was that they were meeting on the court, but there was definitely an overall sense of support on, on both sides. And I know even the USTA provided the training staff to the Ukraine team. Um, as far as I know, I believe Diana Yastrzemska's sister was there, but Olga Savchuk was the only other non-player who was there, which is, of course, unusual. Normally the teams come with their own staff. Uh, and that was, of course, not the case, given what's going on in Ukraine right now. And so the USTA definitely took a role in, in trying to make them feel as comfortable as possible. And I think you definitely got that sense on the court and off. Yeah, for sure. I, I could I could feel it a bit from watching uh, my live stream and television at home. And, and a lot of good stuff happened over the weekend. Of course, it's a horrible situation, what's going on in Ukraine. But um, a lot of money was was raised, I think, spearheaded by Billie Jean King and Ilana Kloss uh, donating, what, 50000 and that, that was met by a lot of other people. I think in the end of something over yeah. 250000 was was raised. 
Yes, right around there, um, raised by that tie in Asheville. And it all went to Tennis Place for Peace, which was the joint effort among the tours and um, the slams to raise money for humanitarian aid in Ukraine. And that effort has raised over $1 million now. So that was one of my, it was the last interview question that I actually got to ask over the weekend. Uh, and it was to Kathy Rinaldi after the U.S. had clinched the tie pretty much saying, listen, how cool is it that you are a part of a sport that is entertainment and it's fun and it's exciting, but it also can, I I get chills, like I'm getting chills even talking about it, but that can also enact real change. And we've seen that, Chris, so many times over the past couple of years in particular where tennis and real life issues have intersected and tennis really can be a sport that can enact change. And we, we saw that in the best possible way in terms of the money raised for Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy situation. I think it's easy for someone like myself who's, who's kind of like holed up in my tennis cave in Northern California. I actually did step out for Indian Wells and got to feel some of the presence of the Ukrainian players, Marta Kostyuk, <laughs> we, we were in a press conference with her and you could just see fire in her eyes and so much pain, so much anguish. What's really going on in the world for these athletes, how they're dealing with it is just monumental. And it's like every time they step on the court, in my opinion, it's just a major victory and a major inspiration. They're showing so much courage. So it must have been really wild for you to firsthand just see it and to see them rally on and make a yeah. make a fifth and deciding rubber out of that and nearly come away with the victory. I mean, it showed what kind of what kind of fortitude this team has. It was I feel like the outcome was probably the best that it could have possibly been for a home tie for the U.S. The U.S. got the win in the end, but Ukraine got to have their moment. Katarina Zavaska had her first ever top 50 win against yeah. Shelby Rogers. Afterwards, she said, I was in the zone and, and she was telling no lies. She was 100 percent in the zone, played an incredible match. Same with uh, Yastremska on on day two. It was just really fun to see and they said we just played free we weren't nervous today and Zavaska in particular said you know I heard people shouting out the name of my hometown and that I just I mean how cool how cool is that for her to have that moment and sometimes Chris I feel like if you have a tough loss in a team event like Billie Jean King Cup it's easy to forget about it if you have a really good win in a team event I I have seen that buoy players for the rest of the season so yeah. who knows maybe that can be a, a win that can help her going forward in 2022 yeah could be a year changer even a career changer we've seen that time and time again in these international competitions but Blair I want to ask you about the American side we, we don't want to ignore them and I, I really wanted to get your take on Kathy Rinaldi because I have never spoken to Kathy Rinaldi which is kind of sad. And I've always been like intrigued by what she's done for American tennis, what she's done as our Billie Jean King Cup captain, and how much of an impact she has on the American women. And I wanted to see what you think of her having been a fixture at these um, Fed Cup, now Billie Jean King Cup ties. What is the essence of Kathy Rinaldi? What is What makes her special? <laughs> you know, I think it's the fact that the players see her as someone who's going to protect them, support them, encourage them. She is, she's an encourager, I think, by nature. Um, and she she has a hard job to do. She said, you know, the toughest part of this whole thing is having to, to choose the team. And then, in, you know, for instance, in Asheville, where she had to make a last-minute change to that double team, putting Asia Muhammad 
and Jesse Pagula in. Um, it was initially supposed to be Desiree Kravchik and Shelby Rogers, I believe. So again, had to make sort of a, a game time decision and, and did that. But I think the fact that the players know that they are supported by her no matter what, there is a trust there. And I think with any good captain slash coach player relationship, that trust is so key. And you can see it. And there's there's the fun side too. There's the trust side. There's the on-court side. Um, and, and also, of course, knowing that she has a, a ton of tennis acumen and experience. But, but even off the court, knowing that she has the fun side as well and where you can sort of have that, you can shift out of tennis mode, get out of tennis mode if you need to, which sometimes you need to, and she can do that as well. So it, it, she sort of fits all, all the things that you would want in a good coach. Hmm. Kathy Rinaldi has those for her players. Yeah, she definitely got the tennis resume. I mean, uh, uh, she was newcomer of the year in 1981, comeback player of the year in 89, former world number seven, wins over a litany of legends like um, Steffi Groff, Yana Novotna. I mean, she's done it all. But, it, you know, I think people overlook how important these weekends could be for players. And I want to get your take on this briefly. They often don't get the extra set of eyeballs on their game because they're kind of locked in with their team. It must be interesting for players to spend time with Kathy once or twice a year and maybe get some extra information that that they can add. Yeah, that's a great point. It's interesting, too, because some players will bring their regular coaches. So Jesse Pagula had David Witt there in Asheville with her. Um, And so I do think, you know, even for Kathy, maybe when a player is bringing their normal coach, there's maybe... I don't know, a little bit of tap dancing or feeling it out that has to happen because nobody wants to overstep. But I think you're exactly right. I think anytime you can have another set of eyes and to have another set of eyes in this team situation that is not standard, it's not a normal feeling. I mean, Allie Risk (laughs) was saying after playing playing her first match, she opened against Yastrzemska. She said she was just a, a ball of nerves getting out. She's like, there's nothing like playing for your country, the feeling that you have and the nerves and, and the adre- adrenaline and all those things, it's just not the same thing as you get on a week-to-week basis on tour. So, yes, being able to have that extra set of eyes in this unusual circumstance, I think, can be very valuable. Yep, for sure. And you segued me, but I ignored it for a second, but now I'm circling back. Asia Muhammad, amazing <laughs> year on the doubles court. She's been doing all kinds of good stuff. And even on the singles at the ITF level, she just does not lose. I mean, they did lose in the, she did lose in the Indian Wells final. But how huge do you think uh, locking down this tie for Team USA will be for her possibly going forward? I mean, obviously the progress has already been being made for several months now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. And I wish I, wish I had a chance actually to sit down with Asia and dig into that question that we always hear what is clicking for you yeah, uh, right. but I really am very curious to know <laughs> what what is clicking because I saw her in Indian Wells as well where she reached the final um, and she just is playing with a whole lot of confidence and even the fact that she had she was just told that she was going to be on the Billie Jean King Cup team less than a week before she hit the court for the deciding match <laughs> um, wow. and she just looked so confident and she was able and whether or not she felt that on the inside she was able to, to fake it until she made it um helped clinch the tie with jesse Pagula, and of course they had already won a title together this season i think some people saw that match and were like that's a strange that's a strange combination but they've won a double title together this year yeah. um so yeah just a whole lot of confidence and asia is 
physically imposing. I don't know how tall she is. I, I would guess five, five, I don't know, five eleven, maybe something around there. She dwarfs me, but she is I mean, she was crushing many people dwarf me, to be clear, Chris. Um, but she was crushing serves, an incredible mixture of the flat serve and the slice serve out wide just keeping the opponents on their back foot really throughout the match. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't su- be surprised to see her doing massive things. She's, she's had good runs at slams before. I believe quarterfinals and semifinals of slam has been her best performance at that level. But, I mean, I would not at all be surprised to see her, you know, especially, I don't know, Chris, if you know if she's sticking with um, Anna Shibahara for the rest of the year, that's who she played with in Indian Wells. I'm not sure, but I, I think she's going to be a factor in doubles for sure. Yeah. I haven't heard about her whether her and Anna are going to stick together. They were a pretty formidable um, team, but it doesn't seem like it matters too much who she's playing with right now. I think no. she, the, I'm looking at the WTA homepage. By the way, 5'10 is the height listed WTA. She's 31 years of age. I feel like she could become... You know, this top 10 type doubles player in the near future for someone definitely um, a little bit under the radar, maybe for the casual fan, but keep an eye out for Asia Muhammad. Yeah, well, one fun quick story, Chris, because we're talking about it. I, I played in one world team tennis match in my very short professional tennis career, and <sighs> it was with Shawnee Skeppers uh, from South Africa against. Asia Mohammed and her doubles partner, whose name is escaping me. Um, so I have one, one win world team tennis over Asia Mohammed, which my point is to say Asia has been doing this for a long time. And it makes me so happy to see her having success at the highest level. And also now I can say, Hey, I have a win over her. <laughs> yes. That W is going to look good for years to come. Even better as time Very goes good. on, I think. Very cool. Hey, let's backtrack in time a little bit for you, Blair. So we'll go from Asheville back to Houston. What makes this event so unique and so cool? Because I watch it on TV. All the players seem to love it. Everybody seems to be in such a good mood out there in Houston. What's going on? What makes this event so cool? Oh, man. Several things. I will say, funny enough, two things that are mentioned often by the players are, number one, the water pressure in the locker room. Oh, my God. And okay. number two, the towels that the players <laughs> Um, apparently, Sam Query has many, many of the uh, River Oaks Country Club towels in his home uh, to this day. But, uh, but no, obviously those little things are nice. But I think it is just the there's that laid back feel. It's a laid back feel, but it's also a, a very professional feel where the players are very well taken care of. Many of them stay in some of the very, very, very nice homes uh, around the club. And I mean, when I tell you that they love it, I mean, you mentioned it, but they, these guys regularly say it is the, if not, it's one of the favorites, if not the favorites of the American um, mm. event for, for the guys. So it's, it's up there. And, and for a lot of good reasons, Bronwyn Greer does an amazing job as tournament director. And there's a family feel while still being very professional and orderly, which is a great combo, if you ask me. And, and of course, they've got that great new kiddie pool for Raleigh Opelka. <laughs> they will be eagerly awaiting the completion <laughs> of their pool renovation, which is supposed to be unbelievable. Um, there are apparently two levels. I'm very excited to see next year's pool jump. Um, I think it goes without saying that Riley was not thrilled that he was being asked to do the kiddie pool. I don't know if you can call it a jump, maybe more of a fall. Yeah. Um, 
he wasn't thrilled. So I think he'll be, uh, should he defend his title next year, he'll be very excited about an actual pool to jump into. That was pretty fun. Well, let me ask the layout of the, of the event is, can you just basically walk over to the golf course? It seems like there's a lot of golf stuff happening. Yes, I could throw a tennis ball to the golf oh, course. It is it is right there. So we, um, a lot of the guys try to get out on the course. I know for a fact, we, we all were wondering if Casper Ruud was going to make it to Houston after, <laughs> after reaching the final in Miami. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was, had he not had that, that uh, wisdom tooth issue. But I am fairly certain that one of the main reasons one of the main attractions for Casper was the golf. He loves his golf. <laughs> so, yes, a lot of players like to enjoy that. Yeah, very cool. So Nick Kyrgios showed up this year, which I was very happy to see, him playing a little bit on the red clay, which we all know he loves so much. But I wanted to get your take on the Nick Kyrgios experience. What has it been like for you this season? Everybody's got a different take on it. What's Blair Henley's take on the Nick Kyrgios experience? It is so complicated, uh, Chris. <laughs> I... I so let, let me back up for a second. So I'm trying to remember the last time that Nick was in Houston, I believe was 2018. And we did sort of a sit down interview there and same thing here. It, again, it's very relaxed. I don't know anywhere else where I'm going to get a 10 minute sit down with Nick Kyrgios, but that's the sort of thing that can happen in Houston, which is one of the great things about that event. If you do what we do, uh, because you sometimes have a chance to maybe get a little deeper than you otherwise would, but he, I mean, he sat down and just gave one great answer after another great answer after another great answer. Um, I also got to meet his uh, girlfriend. He introduced me to her as his reason for being. Nice. Um, and I, his inspiration, I think he said, my inspiration, my reason for being. Uh, and I said, I, I know I've heard about her. So I wanted to shake her hand myself. So Costine was there. She was lovely as well. Um, and... I think the thing that stood out for me in that 10 minute sit down that I had with Nick, other than him committing to play Roland Garros in 2023, <laughs> <laughs> because, because his girlfriend would like to visit Paris cool. other than that, which made, you know, international news. Uh, it's, it's just that feeling. I, I asked about, you know, what, what it sounds like to him when he hears somebody say Nick Kyrgios grand slam champion. And, he gave a really long answer, but, but the crux of it was there were a lot of people who had doubted him and it was, that was in a sense, proving those doubters wrong. And it's just so much of what Nick does and his reactions to things. I feel like stem from the fact that there is that chip, a very heavy chip on his shoulder. And I don't, I just don't see that going anywhere anytime soon. And, and I just think that that will continue to lend itself to those extreme reactions that we tend to see on the tennis court. And it's, it's just a bummer though, because you're like, gosh, he is so magnetic and he is, he's very interesting. I think he's very sharp. It just, there is something that happens on the tennis court in terms of dealing with adversity. That piece of the puzzle has not been figured out by, by Nick yet. Is he trying to figure out that piece of the puzzle? That is what I don't totally know. I think he would say that, yes, he's working on it, quote unquote, whatever it is. Yeah. But I just don't know that for sure. Um, and, you know, without that, I don't think the things that we see that are just, uh, just bummers, I don't know that those things are going to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm with you. He's a magnetic player, and he's absolutely brilliant to watch. Some of the skills that he possesses are just skills that you know only a small handful of players have on tour right now. He just has some really amazing t- tennis talent, and it's beautiful to watch. And the meltdowns are tough, and you're right. They're bummers. Bummer is a good way to put it. If he eliminated those bummers, I'd say – you know that that could be the next step, and let's let's face it, he has he has evolved a lot in the last five years. I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, he's definitely a different person now than he was then. He's definitely a little bit warmer and a little bit he's come a long way, but yeah, he still kind of reverts back. And you mentioned the chip on the shoulder. Maybe that's the reason why we still see that element of him. Yeah, I mean, you you like to think that just natural maturity, getting older, seeing more things, being in more situations. I mean, I was certainly a much different person at. 21 than I was at 25. So I think that that's a natural thing that happens. It just, it is unnatural to have that many eyeballs on you. And so to to put sort of what happens naturally in life into this very unnatural situation, it's just, you you can't perfect the um, formula, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff, but it must have been must have been cool to have him back in Houston. And um, looking forward to seeing Nick on the grass. Blair, I want to ask you, one last quick question, just about your observations. Maybe we can backtrack even further back to your time at Indian Wells. If you could give me, from your little mini U.S. tour, if you could give me two or three sort of under-the-radar under the type moments that really stuck out to you and made you, you know, happy to be a tennis person. Anything that sticks yes. out? Oh, my gosh. So many things. Um, <laughs> just a little, little backstory for those listening. Chris did give me a heads up on this question. And as I started sort of going through it in my head, my gosh, there there are more than there are more than a couple here, but I'm gonna try to gonna try to pull out some of my highlights. Okay, perfect. Um, one had to be tiebreak tens in Indian Wells, uh-huh. which was an event that I had never been a part of before. But it was eight uh, WTA players, and it was you know we had big names: Simona Halep, uh, Paula Badosa. We had Ons Jabur. We had Amanda Anisimova, um, Naomi Osaka, Leila Fernandez. List goes on. Um, it was so much fun, like genuine fun. So often sometimes in my job, I feel like the, the stress of a live show or the stress of having a live audience can sort of override the enjoyment in the moment. Mm-hmm. But the just the fun that they had on the microphone with myself and with Andrew Krasny, the fun that they had with each other on the sidelines, I felt was such an incredible showcase of not only women's tennis, because we saw great tennis on the court, granted it was in the form of a a 10-point tiebreak, but seeing how they interacted with one another and the senses of humor and the the quick wit, um, it was just, it was so much fun. Maria Sakari was another one who was absolutely hilarious all night long. So I just think, I just thought the whole thing was just a great showcase for the product of women's tennis. For anyone who needs any more convincing that it's a fantastic product, that was it for me. So that was a lot of fun. Um, also in Indian Wells, this is going real offbeat here, but Sam Query came in with a 10-match losing streak and beat Talon Griegspoor in his first-round match uh, in three sets. The I don't know, you wouldn't remember this, Chris, especially as a, a Californian, but you remember the Samurai. Oh, Sam, yeah. like high school friends. Um, high school, yeah, they, they would have been his friends from from California growing up. Yep, the Samurai, they made an appearance. That they knew that Sam was feeling low, and many of his old friends, known 
at one point as the samurai came out and were in were at stadium three that night to watch him win that match um they were so loud sam wins the match and afterward by the way he's where he was wearing that full-on neon pink fila kit <laughs> which said was one of his favorite kits of all time Sweet. uh and he's been with fila for nine nine plus years so that's that's saying something but he also said honestly that was perhaps the most meaningful match of my entire career and he said that in the post-match interview and it was one of those moments where I mean who knows had he lost that was he planning on retiring I it, I think it was actually a possibility um, and so it was just a reminder that tennis can be really brutal and one match can can really make a massive difference whether it's mentally physically in the rest of the season whatever it is but it was just a neat it was it was a cool moment to see you know Query D Greekspor on Stadium Three at Indian Wells, Round One, and it was that meaningful of a match to him, and I thought that that was very cool. Wow, that's a great one, Blair. I was I was not expecting uh, something so cool, and and that is <laughs> seriously that is one of those overlooked moments that I I was at the tournament covering it. I had no idea it even happened. I just know that he lost to Isner in the next round, and that is just amazing. I mean, and the Samurais, I didn't I didn't know they were around anymore. So wow, that's yes, that's super well, cool. Well, I I don't know that 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 they want to call it like a true comeback, but said that yes yes indeed they were they were in the stands that night um and also sort of in the same vein uh christian garin in houston um came in with a five match losing streak he had said after losing in santiago he had there were some quotes out there that made it sound like he was reconsidering playing professional tennis and he came in with a a new coach pepe who was Pepe Vendrell, who was amazing, uh, and ended up reaching the semifinals in Houston uh, after really just not feeling good physically, not feeling good in terms of his tennis. And I I remember asking him, you know, what did you prove to yourself? It was one of his, he had a grinding three-set match. I think all of his matches were three sets. But um, I asked, you know, what did you prove to yourself? And he said, I proved a whole lot to myself. I took a step away from tennis. He took a month off, started training with Pepe. He said, I didn't think the results would come this soon, but I am just so thankful. And you can just, again, it's tennis is just a game. It's just a sport, but it will never cease to just make me so happy. I work in this sport when you hear, when you see those wins that are just so encouraging to a player. It just makes you happy on the inside, you know, not to sound too cheesy, but I just love it. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, I watched, I watched Gary quite a bit during that week he beat Taylor Fritz in three sets who was virtually unbeatable at that point but he's a he's yeah. a he's a warm kind of soulful guy he's very nice definitely rooting for him so another good one Blair that's that's why I wanted to talk with you I need, I needed some good stuff and there you go you pumped me up so that's awesome do we, do we have time for one more Chris yeah and before we get to okay. it I want to just say that yeah. I, I was at the tennis uh, the tiebreak tens event at Indian Wells in Stadium 2 it was amazing rock paper scissor before the before each little battle and <laughs> Uh, owns Jabor playing uh, photographer, Sabalenka on the bike, or, or was it was it Owns being the spin instructor? I mean, there's too much good stuff. People, if you're at Indian Wells next year, make sure you get a ticket for that. And and what's your last one, Blair? Um, okay, my last one is again. One day it would be great to work in tennis in some sort of broadcast capacity. But one of the things that I love about having digital roles often is that there is a freedom to do some offbeat pieces. And one of those came in Houston, where I saw J.J. Wolf in person for the first time since he 
cut off his signature mullet, yes. which was a sight to behold. As mullets go, it was one of the best, I guess, best slash worst I had ever seen. <laughs> um, so I got to talk to JJ, asked him, you know, the magic question, why, JJ, did you cut off your mullet? He explained that he felt like it was just taking too much attention away from his tennis. And I was like, okay, well, that's an admirable reason to cut it off. And then he added, but Max Purcell is carrying the torch. It is, his is blonde, it's curly, it's luscious. Max is doing a great job. So cut to, oh yes, the word luscious was used more times than it has ever been used in an interview with me. That is for sure. I can say that with confidence. Uh, Cut to me having a chance to talk to Max Purcell, who went on to win the double title with Matt Ebden in Houston. And Max deadpans this whole answer about how his girlfriend, first of all, he saw JJ's mullet, was inspired by JJ. His girlfriend, who was present in Houston, said, you have to grow a mullet. Um, And so she encouraged him to grow it. He started to grow it. He then helped him condition it. And he's telling me this. He's, he's saying this on camera that his girlfriend helped him condition his mullet. He proceeds to give it a shake, shows me like the correct way to shake a mullet. Uh, then the end, end scene on this coming to the conclusion, Max and Matt had just done the pool, the kiddie pool jump in Houston. And I see Max's girlfriend and you know Max is telling off and his girlfriend's right there and I went over to her and I said I just have to ask do you really condition his mullet <laughs> um, and Chris you'll, you'll be thrilled to know the answer is absolutely there is a special product that they use there is a bathroom stool that is specifically for oh mullet conditioning um anyway i this is probably way more hilarious to me than it was to anyone else but we did get to do a cute little piece with jj passing the mullet torch to max and those random things to me i mean i will pay attention to max purcell matches from here on out a because he's a great player and b because the guy gave me a line about his girlfriend conditioning his mullet which also happens to be factual and that, to me, is the kind of stuff that, that gets people involved. That, that's like, a, I mean, he's got a fan for life in me. That's great. And th- this, from the, this story from the woman who helped us all fetishize Maria Sakari's bun. So, so I mean, I do, you're the I expert on these things. Awesome. <laughs> so good. Blair, amazing stuff. I, um, I'm very thankful we got the chance to chat. I mean, I've read into you how many times? Five times. We didn't have a great conversation like this in any well, so I'm grateful that we got to do it today. Thank you for your time. Let's uh, let's talk again soon. I would love that, Chris. And uh, keep keep doing all the things. You are an absolute tennis soldier, and we would not be kept abreast of what's happening in the tennis world if it were not for incredibly hardworking people like you. So thank you so much for everything uh, that you do. Too kind. Let's keep doing all the things together. All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. Talk soon. All right. Bye. This edition of the Lucky Let Court podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Blair Henley for joining. It is always a pleasure to speak with her. She has so much passion for this sport and does so much good work in it. You guys, again, can follow her on Twitter at Blair Henley. Check out her website, BlairHenley.com. As far as us, we're glad you guys listened to the podcast, and we'd love it if you like, 
rate, review, subscribe. You can find us on your Apple Podcasts app. Just type in Lucky Let Court Podcast and voila. We'd love it. Again, if you rate and review it, if you appreciate the podcast, let us know. It means a lot to us. You can also find Tennis Now on the web, facebook.com slash tennis now, on Twitter, at tennis underscore now. We're always happy to engage with all of you. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy what's going on with the clay court season. We'll talk much more about that in the coming weeks to come. You guys enjoy your week, and we'll talk soon.